Father, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time that we have to gather and praise you and to remember that our life is, is all about you. And without you, um, we would be nothing, Lord. Lord, this morning I pray for those in our congregation who are sick, um, those who cannot make it out, those who are struggling with various ailments. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would touch them and put your hand upon them accordance with your will, in keeping with your will, Father. Lord, I ask this morning that your word would, would speak to our hearts, would encourage those who are discouraged, convict those who are in sin, to stir up the lazy, to embolden those, of, those who already know that, that without you, they're nothing. Lord, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It is my prayer that, um, that you would, that you've already been blessed this morning and that you would continue to be blessed um, as we gather as a body of believers. And I believe that God speaks to us not only as individuals, but also as a body that we in Calvary Bible Church, that God has been speaking to us. And God has been focusing on evangelism in Calvary Bible Church, not only with the messages that Pastor Lee has been bringing since the beginning of the year, but in the teen discovery class, we were going through First Peter, and we came to a section that talked about why the gospel is preached, so that men, even though they are judged in the flesh, even though we die, they may live, have life in the spirit, so that even though we die, we may live afterwards with Jesus. And in Living Stones, every Saturday they have practice. And in every practice, we've been going through an evangelism uh, training session. And in, in our Ignition team meetings on Friday nights, I've been going through the book of Jonah. And Jonah speaks heavily on talking to people about God, about witnessing to others. And so, got me, Alan? But I've been struggling with this question lately, and maybe you've asked yourself this question. Um, does God really expect me to love everybody? The guy in traffic who makes his own lane and, uh, and almost rams into me with his marijuana leaf and his only God can judge me stickers on his windshield... Um, Am I supposed to love him? Am I supposed to feel good about him? The person who, who stole my boyfriend or my girlfriend for teenagers, am I supposed to love them? The homosexual, the bums on the street. I mean, we know Rambo and Derek by their first names. He's got a special name for Rambo. Sometimes we can think to ourselves that God, they're, they're such big sinners and, and they deserve what they've gotten from their lifestyle. So does God really expect me to love them? And I know all of you are good Christians and you would never, you never struggle with negative thoughts about anybody, right? I love everybody all the time. Uh, you're just better at hiding your hypocrisy than I am, I guess. Um, 
But there was another believer in the Bible who had trouble loving everyone. And in particular, the people he had been sent to minister to. So let's go to the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, But it, dis- it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Let's start with that first word, but. So it was a contrast of something different happening than what happened in the previous chapter. So let's, let's recap the story so far. Jonah gets a message from God. He says, go to Nineveh and tell them that I'm going to bring judgment on them. And Jonah says, no way, Jose, I'm going the other way. And so God catches up to Jonah. Jonah gets on the boat. God catches up to him. Jonah's thrown overboard. He's swallowed by this fish. He's puked up by this fish on the beach. He finally decides, okay, I better do what God wants me to do. And he goes to Nineveh. He preaches. Everybody gets saved. And God says, I see their repentance, and so I'm not going to bring judgment on them. And we come to verse, chapter 4, verse 1. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. I really enjoy chapter 4 because it's reality. This is reality. There's no sugarcoating. There's no fairy tale ending here. And I thank God for Jonah. Because he is probably the person in the Bible that I relate to the most. Um, and I think all of us can see ourselves in Jonah a little bit. Where we are serving God with our own motives. With our own agenda. And just based on this first verse, we can already see Jonah's true heart. So, let's read verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord... Was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. The first lesson that we see is that God will allow us to serve him in order to accomplish his purposes, even if we miss the blessing, and the joy of serving him. He's not afraid to use us even if we don't want to be used. And so for us, when we're serving, we can go to Honduras, we can be in Livingstone, we can be on the praise team, we can teach Sunday school, we can be involved in every single ministry, But if our heart is not in the right place, we miss the blessing of serving the Lord. And it just becomes a job. We become professionals with no reward from God for what we're doing. And Jonah, Jonah wanted fireworks. Jonah wanted to see judgment. He wanted the fire and the brimstone to come down on these Ninevites. Because remember, oftentimes the Ninevites and the Assyrians, they were God's judgment tool on the Jews. And Jonah had seen this and experienced this. And so he was just waiting for their time to finally come, for God to finally get them for what they had done. For us, for what Jonah is experiencing, this is like us flying to the U.S. to go shopping. And we've got all our money and we're ready to go spend and, you know, all this big stuff. And then we get there and we realize it's Thanksgiving weekend and every store is closed. 
What a letdown. Jonah, Jonah says, I came all this way. I want to see some action. Because it took him about a month to get there. Because you brought me all this way for nothing. I knew you were going to do this. We like it when people get what they deserve. We are a society that demands justice. There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But what happens when God himself steps in and throws a kink in our expectations and shows people mercy? People that we think don't deserve it. We see how Jonah responds. Jonah responds by using God's goodness against him. This is a perfect example of why Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, he says, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Why? For the purpose of prayer. So that when we pray, God can answer our prayer, and we can have real expectations because we've prayed with a sober spirit, with sound judgment, with proper motives. But I think it's safe to say that Jonah's prayer here is not a good model for us to use. And in the same way that Jonah in his carnality and in his selfishness, in the same way that he's using God's goodness against him, the world tries to use our goodness against us. And I don't want to make you feel bad, but don't be surprised. You can expect it. Paul tells Timothy, a young person, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Indeed, all, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's no doubt. So now how many of you want to quit? How many of us want to run? But Paul doesn't leave him with no hope of defense or just no hope. He says in verse 14, he says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. He says, defend yourself against it through the truth of God's word, through the support of Christian friends, and through the example of others, your leaders, who have experience and have gone before you. And have learned the lessons and can pass them on to you. We cannot live individual Christian lives. Instead, we need to unite through the power that Christ gives us as his body. Because we are one body, whether you want to be or not. This means, teenagers, this means that you can't be afraid to talk about Talk about God and your struggles with each other. You need to allow yourselves to be vulnerable and open so that it doesn't get weird and silent whenever someone wants to talk about their relationship with God. Ever notice how a room goes silent? And, and someone asks them, how, how's your relationship with God? Sometimes they just don't know what to say. And sometimes, sadly, other Christians can make Christians feel awkward about talking about their relationship with God. Because they feel convicted. Because they don't have the relationship with God that they want, so naturally they want to make other people feel awkward. 
And we get used to being quiet about it because all we know is that we're going to catch trouble and weird looks from the people that we want to like us. Teens, let's be honest. Some of you are here because you have to be, right? We're going to sit here. It's Sunday morning. Okay, I got to go to church. I can endure an hour and a half of church, all right? But once I get out of this place, nothing else. No devotions. I'm not even going to the teen youth meeting on Friday night. No discovery. No, there's nothing. I'm not even going to hang around other Christians at no point during the week. How do you expect to grow if you are never around the things of God? Maybe there's something broken inside of you. Maybe there's something damaged. Maybe you've been hurt. But that's not what the church is supposed to be about. This is why this year, to go to Honduras, we have as a requirement that you must be doing your own personal devotion. We want to make sure that the team we send is the most spiritually ready team. Because we are representing not only Calvary Bible Church, but our country as well. And Christ. Parents, are you encouraging your teens to grow? Or do you let them dictate whether or not they want to grow? I've learned that no one will grow unless a challenge is put in front of them. Unless they have something that they need to accomplish, no one will seek out challenges. Unless they're an exceptional person. Some parents only want their kids to become Christians just so they'll behave. And not cause them trouble. And so they end up neglecting their child's spiritual development because as long as they're doing well in school and behaving themselves, that's really what I want. So parents, your teens need you leading them and encouraging them to grow spiritually. And they need you to be setting the example. They need to see it as a priority in your life. Because otherwise, they're just going to drift. They're going to drift along through life, and they're going to end up with a stagnant faith, a stillborn faith. Because we see it all the time, that as soon as a a teenager hits 18, and he can make his own decision... Gone. What if I told you that I wanted to be a detective? Or I wanted to be a medical examiner? But I wasn't going to go to school. And I wasn't going to get a degree in criminology or, or anything like that. I was going to sit at home and I was going to watch uh, Law and Order. Law and Order, SVU. Law and order, criminal intent, CSI, CSI New York, CSI Miami. That's all I was going to do. That's where I was going to get my education from. Would I, would you want me to be your detective or your medical examiner? Andy has faith in me. No, you want someone who has practical experience. Someone who has practiced. And so 
I say to some of you, you need to wake up. You need to wake up, get off your butts. And become an active part of this church instead of someone who just sits back and watches everything and complains about everything. Like Jonah. Look at verses 3 through 5. Therefore now, O Lord, this is Jonah continuing his, his little tirade. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, you have good reason to be angry. And then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. And there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So Jonah reaches the end of his prayer saying he wants to die. He would rather die than for God to show mercy to these people. And so he starts whining and complaining and acting like a big baby and overreacts. Parents, have your teens ever done this? Have you ever experienced this? You have a disagreement and then, then there's drama and then the conversation turns to, I wish I was dead. I don't want to be a part of this family. Don't feel special, okay, because God had to deal with it as well. He had to deal with it with Jonah. Teens, how do you respond uh, when someone reacts poorly to something that you've done? Or maybe you're like Jonah. Do you do this with your parents or your friends or your youth leaders? They do something you don't like, and so you get, to get back at them, you stop talking to them. Or you avoid them. Or you do something extreme to manipulate them to get them to change their mind. This is what Jonah's doing. Parents, how do you respond when your teen responds poorly to your parenting? Or maybe their sibling got something that they wanted. You scream at them, you say, shut up! You're a brat. See if I do anything nice for you again. This might be our natural tendency for some of us. But let's learn from God. How does God respond to Jonah's little tirade? God doesn't smack him. God doesn't pick him up and take him back in the storm that he was in. God doesn't put him back in the fish. God doesn't say, how dare you speak to me that way? God asks him a question that gets straight to the heart of the matter. He says, do you have good reason to be angry? God is engaging Jonah in his complaint. God's not afraid of Jonah. So parents, you don't need to be afraid of your team. Neither is God afraid of us when we come to him with our complaints, with our burdens, with our questions, and even our doubts. God allows us to express them to him in honesty. And he promises not to rebuke us when we ask for wisdom. This is what James chapter 1 is about. Because God gives wisdom liberally without reproach or rebuke to those who ask because he knows we need it. But Jonah, on the other hand, he wasn't asking for wisdom. He was just looking to complain. And how do we know? Because he doesn't even answer God's question. God in his wisdom comes up with this perfect question to silence Jonah because Jonah knows if he answers this question, he's going to sound so selfish. And we hate it when someone asks us a question that we can't answer. 
Because if we answer it honestly, we might reveal too much about ourselves. But Jonah just stops talking to God. And he goes out of the city to see if he has manipulated God. He's waiting to see what happens in the city. I believe that he was going to sit out there and wait for 40 days to see if he had gotten God to change his mind. Because he had whined. To see if God would actually bring the judgment. He was determined to have his own way. But God, being God, will always have his way. No matter how much we complain. And God is getting ready to teach Jonah a powerful lesson. And God, being the greatest teacher, he comes up with a very creative object lesson to speak to Jonah. God is setting Jonah up. And Jonah walks right into it. Let's read. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. How many times do we see this phrase, God appointed, in those verses? You see it three times. God appointed the plant, God appointed the worm, God appointed the scorching east wind. And we see in the earlier chapters, God appointed the storm. He hurled the storm. God appointed the fish to swallow Jonah. God commanded the fish to puke him up. And so we see God in control of every single situation in Jonah's life in this this book. And God has been using this whole experience to say to Jonah and to us that I am in control of every situation in your life. I am sovereign over everything in the universe. From the fish in the sea to the plant that grows, I am Lord over it all. This is the lesson that he's trying to teach. So tell me something. What are you frustrated about? What is there in your life that seems beyond control right now? And how are you approaching it? Maybe you've been betrayed by someone you trusted, or you're lonely, or a loved one has passed on. Or things at your school or your job just aren't working out the way you thought they would. Or maybe you just constantly fight a, t- a certain temptation. Or there's a certain sin that always just seems to drag you down. Or you're just in a situation where you say, God, this is just unfair. Do we respond like Jonah? And we say, God, just kill me now. I can't handle it. But God tells us that we can express our frustrations to him. But we express a frustration with the understanding that God is smarter than we are. That he is God. And while we may not understand everything that's happening in our lives, through all the difficulty and through all the pain and through all the confusion. 
we can still trust Him. God may be using a situation in your life to make you more humble, to make you more submissive to His will. And what once seemed unfair could be beneficial to your future. And in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, we see the benefits of responding to trials in godly ways. Our faith is refined. We gain perseverance. Through our trials, we gain perseverance, and through perseverance, we gain proven character. And through character, we gain hope. And we can rejoice in these things. That's how God wants us to respond. But Jonah responds poorly. And he makes me laugh at his response in, uh, in verse 9. God asked him the same question over again. And God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry. Even to death. Yes, I have a right to be angry. So angry I could die. So we see Jonah had a death wish, right? Oh, I'm way ahead. Can I go back, Alan? Have you ever said something so dumb that, you know, the thought seemed okay in your head, but the second you said it, you realized how stupid you sounded? And so you just wish you could grab it all back and put it back in your mouth and, and turn back time. And I really feel like that's what Jonah... Jonah had to experience that because what he said is so selfish. And God lets him have it. This is where God brings his lesson to a close. This is where God lays a big yeah, verse on Jonah. Kids in California liked it when I said it. Verses 10 and 11. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? This is the only book of the Bible that ends in a question. For those of you who watch 24, how's this for a cliffhanger ending? Nothing is wrapped up. All plot holes are left wide open. The perfect closure of chapter 3, where the book should have ended, is undone in chapter 4. God says to Jonah, you care about the plant. Fine. But you didn't plant it. You didn't water it. You didn't do any work for it but you used it and you took pleasure in it. That plant cared nothing for you and it had no ability to care for you, yet you care more about the plant, that one plant, than these 120,000 people in Nineveh. God is saying, I did work to create these people in Nineveh and I made them to love me. Shouldn't I care more about people than plants? 
here's where the hard part comes. For me, for you, what do we value? Do we care more about our music and our video games and our TV shows and our beauty products and our clothing and our cell phones and our car and our job? Compare how upset you get when one of those goes missing or there's a hole in your favorite outfit or you, know, you find a stain on something. You lose your cell phone. How does that compare to knowing that a person that God has created and values is lost forever? And knowing how much God loves people, how do we view that? I asked the, uh, our teen discovery class last month to take a video camera into their schools and, and interview their classmates. And the question we asked them was, do you think that Christians are loving to people who are different from them? And what experiences in your life have made you draw, draw that conclusion? And uh, we got a couple answers from St. Andrews, a couple students from St. Andrews. One male student said, now we asked Christian, non-Christian, everyone, just so we could get a fair view. One male student from St. Andrews says, as a Catholic myself, I definitely think that students that are active Christians in school do actually tend to be really nice people. I don't know what everyone's faith in the school is, so I really can't say if Christians are different than others who aren't. No one is perfect, and even the nicest people can act mean once in a while. And a female student responded this way. He said, personally, I believe that the Christians I know, including myself, are very loving to people that are different from them. I say this because I have friends that aren't Christian. I don't treat them differently, nor do I impose my religion on them. I just try to be a good example. I don't go and say that you can't be my friend because you're not like me. However, I don't do everything they do because it's not right. And it's by me and other people doing things that, like that help to show the kind of Christians we are and should be. So, of course, I believe that Christians are loving to people who aren't like them because that is what we are supposed to be. We also went into College of the Bahamas and Kingsway Academy, and we got their responses on video. And some of them weren't quite as nice as those responses. They were. Real question is supposed to be, but it doesn't always happen that it's that way because when people think like you have different views or different beliefs from them, they automatically like kind of shun you or type um, push you away from them, so to speak. But real Christians are supposed to embrace all everyone because God is love. So you know we're supposed to love everyone despite. Okay, so what makes you say that? Well, I mean, if you are a Christian, you're supposed to go by the beliefs and the instructions of the Bible. So that's where I got my answer. Okay. You're not supposed to be discriminated against just because they different religion than you. Like I don't, I don't think you should date them generally because you know that may get a mix. Like you're dating somebody who different religion. Why do you end up converting? people but in some cases some cases there are some flaws but but what human doesn't have flaws I mean if we didn't have flaws we would have been gone but yeah you know, for me I think we 
try our best. We try our hardest to impart the world and to lift people up for I do because I'm major. It's like we will depend on a lot of people, especially I guess that I'm a youth. I represent them right now. Band of Valor. It's a little program. We have like little outreach just to all the maids in the community. We play basketball and do stuff and up little seminars on Saturdays and stuff. So, I mean, with a major to the Trinity, like the kids the most to the Trinity. <laughs> every stuff. Yeah, yeah, we cool. So, I mean, I can say most Christians, most Christians, if I give it just a general opinion, like they, they nice to people besides themselves. I mean, that's the purpose of the church. So, pulling other people because the church is supposed to be like a mission. I least least from going to this one my church angles that you know when people come in with a different look or they look like they've been drinking or they look like they can't afford to buy certain type of clothes, you know, people are gas them you know, turning those stuff at them. So from my personal experience showing from my church, I can see I can say that people you know, Christians are not loving the people different. Christians treat people differently because when they see that you're trying to come, they want to act all Christianly to add you to your club. But when they don't feel like they're getting anywhere, they act like they're old, they act like they're by itself and seem like they just want to mix with you because they just want to be around people, not really be Christian. I agree, I agree. Do you think Christians treat other Christians differently or other people differently, or, you think, or do they treat them the same? Not most of the times, because most Christian people are hypocrites, especially yeah. the Anglican Church. Different people, 
we tend to think we're better than them sometimes. And we think just because they do wrong that they don't deserve privileges like us. What's your initial reaction to that video? Do you feel conviction? Do you feel outrage? Do you feel you want to defend yourself? Because, wait, they're not being fair. They don't know me. Fair or unfair, this is the perception that most young people have about Christians in the Bahamas. So we need to decide. How are we going to show the overwhelming love and grace of God that he has shown us? How are we going to show that to others? Jonah thought that the Ninevites did not deserve love and mercy. He didn't want to show it to them. In spite of the fact that he had been shown love and grace time and time again throughout this story. And there are people out there who in our mind don't just don't seem deserving of, of mercy. They don't deserve to be redeemed. People who, as soon as, as, soon as we see them, we think negative and, and judgmental thoughts. And rarely do we ever think of, of how we can aid in the process of their redemption by showing love and grace and But there's good news for us, even from the example of Jonah. Who wrote the book of Jonah? Jonah. <laughs> that was a hard question. Why would he write something that ends so badly for him? finally got it. At some point along the way, maybe on the journey back home, maybe as he was relaying, retelling this story to his friends, and his friends said, dude, you were an idiot. Sometimes it takes other people telling us, you know, for us to, to wake up and to get a dose of reality. But at some point along the way, he got it. And he decided to write this story and tell it just how it was. Because in the end, he realized that God values everyone. And we need to see people through the eyes of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for, for your love and grace and mercy shown to us. Lord, we come before you and, Lord, we repent. We confess our sin of being selfish with the gospel. Lord, we ask that you work in our hearts that when we see those people 
when we're driving down the, down the road. We see those people that we instantly fear or judge or think they've, they've got what they deserve. Lord, convict us and teach us how to be redemptive in our thought processes, Lord Jesus. Show us how much you love everyone. And let us learn to respond to everyone the way that you want us to. Lord, you have blessed us. You've blessed us with our offerings. You've blessed us with our jobs. And Lord, as we bring our offering before you, I pray that, pray that we would come with uh, clean hearts. And you would bless those who distribute the funds, give them wisdom. Father, give us wisdom. We learn how to love like you love us.